Genesis 32, Jacob is going to see Esau. It looks desperate, but God said, this is Mahanaim. You've got two camps traveling. It's not just you, Jacob. The angel of the Lord's got a camp over you. We're not traveling alone, are we? We are not traveling alone. God is watching over his people. Well, we've had the joy of over 40 years being partners with Jews for Jesus. Uh, and that wonderful ministry started out with a guy by the name of Moise uh, Rosen. I think it started about 71, 72. We started Valley in 71. And uh, Moise used to come over and tell me how to pastor the church and tell me about how to do everything about life. He was just like a, a patriarchal kind of man and was dear to me. And then David was once very young, and uh, he used to lead a liberated Wailing Wall singing group coming to this church, and we loved him from the earliest days that we met. And uh, he's just come back from a glorious trip that he's going to tell you about that after nearly 2,000 years, if you read the book of Acts and all that happened there and what happened to our first Jewish Christian pastors, he's going to tell you a story of God's triumph. Welcome, Dave Brickner, the director of Jews for Jesus. Take it, David. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Phil. Shalom. It's always great to be at Valley. I love you guys, and I uh, thank you for your love and support. One of the dearest uh, relationships that I've had in my life and of ministry has been with Phil and Carolyn. And uh, Phil Moish uh, might have tried to tell you what to do, but uh, he tried to tell everybody what to do. <laughs> and you know what? Uh, he had a lot of good things to say. But you you have been such a wonderful encouragement to me. Every time I come, or every time you call me, or we get together for lunch, or whatever it is, uh, I, I've said this before, maybe you know what I mean when I say your pastor is the Vance Havner of the West Coast. <laughs> if you don't know who Vance Havner is, you can go look him up online, and he just had the ability, both in his preaching and the way he just talked, to just speak the word, and like pearls of wisdom dropping from his lips, and that's what brother Phil is like for me. He's spoken, uh, and it's the Lord who's told me what to do <laughs> as a result, and I appreciate that so very much, and Carolyn, your love and friendship, and you guys here at Valley, I mean, my goodness, that must be the, the longest relationship that we've had as a ministry with uh, a church, and uh, thank you for loving us. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for believing that God is going to accomplish his work among the Jewish people through the ministry of Jews for Jesus, because you're a partner with us, and we, we greatly appreciate that. Uh, for those of you who have been following uh, the ministry of Jews for Jesus, this has been perhaps the most significant year in my memory and certainly in my personal life, because for the past 18 years, we've been following through on a vision and a dream that God gave us called Operation Behold Your God, which was a commitment to have saturation evangelism campaigns in every city throughout the world with a Jewish population of 25,000 or more, 77 cities. We started 18 years ago 
in San Francisco, and we ended that program this May in Jerusalem. What an experience. You know, I was telling Pastor Phil between the services that <laughs> when we started the, the 12 years of doing this in Israel, I was thinking about that verse where Jesus said to his disciples, you'll not finish going through the cities of Israel before the coming of the Son of Man. And we were thinking about what it's going to be to do this in Jerusalem. And I was saying, Lord, would you fulfill that promise and come before we get to Jerusalem? Because I was scared. About 70 to 75% of the city of Jerusalem is uh, religious. And uh, so we knew that if we were going to go to Jerusalem, it had to be a little bit different than some of our approaches in other cities. And God blessed that outreach. And, uh, you know, we didn't time it at the beginning that it would be actually the month of the 70th anniversary of the modern state of Israel. But that's what it turned out. I see God's hand in that, you know. We didn't know that when we were coming to Jerusalem, that was going to be the month that the United States was going to move its embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, making a big explosion in the world. We didn't know any of that. But the sovereign hand of God was at work through this outreach. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. But think about Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem is very much central to the plan of God. Uh, that was where God told Abram, to take his son Isaac, his son, his only son whom he loved, and offer him there on Mount Moriah, which is where the temple stood. I mean, this is the place where God promised he would put his name in Deuteronomy chapter 10. He says, there I will cause my name to dwell. There I will meet with you. There I will hear your prayers. There will, I will forgive your sin. So there's something unique already from the Torah, from the first five books of Moses, about this place, even when it wasn't named Jerusalem. God had something in mind. The temple was to be built there. David wanted to do it, but God said, nope, you're, you're a man of bloodshed. You get the resources together and your son will build it. And so he did. That same temple was greater when it became the second temple, not because it was more glorious and gold and all of the wonderful things that they used to build it, but because Jesus walked there. Like Haggai said, the, 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 the second temple is greater than the first because Jesus walked there. He talked there. The prophets prophesied there. Jesus healed people. He died there. That gruesome death. He was buried there. And then he gloriously rose again from the dead in Jerusalem. And from that mountain right outside the city gates, he ascended to glory. And guess what? He's coming back there. <laughs> Hallelujah. But in the meantime, we had to think about how we were going to reach out. And so we started meditating on a scripture verse, actually a whole scripture passage. And if you'd like to look with me at Isaiah 62, the prophet says, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. And you will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a, a crown of splendor 
in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah. My delight is in her. You will be called, your land will be called Beulah, married. <laughs> For the Lord will take delight in you. The Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married as a young man marries a maiden. So will your sons marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. I have posted watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They will never be silent, day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest. And give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and, and by his mighty arm, never again will I give your grain as food for your enemies, and never again will foreigners drink the new wine for which you have toiled. But those who harvest it will eat it and praise the Lord. And those who gather the grapes will drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Pass through, pass through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway. Remove the stones. Raise a banner for the nations. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your Savior comes. See his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. They will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you will be called sought after, the city no longer deserted. What a vision the prophet has. I mean, this guy began this message, that, this book that he wrote, saying, the ox knows its master, and the donkey, it's major, but you people don't know. Israel was a byword. You know, there's been over 30 wars that have been fought in Jerusalem, more than any other place on the planet. Jerusalem is so controversial. In fact, even the word that is used here, it's Zion, Zion, the Hebrew word that is associated with the city known as Jerusalem, Ir Shalom, city of peace. How ironic. You know? But Zion, the, the theologians don't even understand exactly what that word means in the Hebrew, Zion. It's mentioned 150 times in Scripture. And it could mean either dry, because the very dry part of Israel. It could mean um, brook, because the Kidron brook uh, in the valley kind of flows through there, and then, you know, of course, Hezekiah was able to build a tunnel that went through solid rock to bring the water up into the pool of Siloam, and so that water could be had inside the city when Israel was surrounded so many times by enemies who were trying to destroy it. The scripture, the history of the Bible is littered with amazing accounts of both destruction and deliverance in Jerusalem. 
It's a, it's a, it's a place of, uh, of spiritual conflict for all the ages because God said, I'll put my name there. And Satan said, and I'm going to besmirch your name there. And so we see a cosmic conflict that's been going on and is going on to this very day. Zion and Zionism in the world <laughs> today and in the United Nations is equated with racism. But God, look at the vision. Look at the vision of the prophet. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet until her righteousness shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a blazing torch. Brothers and sisters, God calls those things that are not as though they were, right? I mean, you can look at Jerusalem today and you can see crime, you can see bloodshed, terrorism, prostitution, homelessness, alcoholism, drug addiction, the streets are dirty. The religious, which are in the majority, make it really hard to live there. And on the Sabbath, you can't go anywhere. And yet God sees it as a beautiful place. And the prophet says, I'm not going to keep silent until God accomplishes what he said he's going to do. You're going to be a, a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem. In the hand of your God, I have a purpose for you. And so because of that, we see Zion, we see Jerusalem as a picture. First of all, and a picture that I hope all of us can identify with because we know the gospel, a picture of God's grace. Here is this amazing city that has had so much happen, and yet it's a byword. But God sees things that we don't see. And the prophet, when he understands the plan of God, although he knew from the beginning, you people don't know. You, you've gotten so much blessing from God, and yet Jerusalem has become identified with some of the worst things that has happened in the world. The tragedy. And yet God has intended to bring about his glory there. I may have told you this story before, but I remember the first time I went to Jerusalem, I was with the Liberated Wailing Wall, and uh, we were singing on the streets of Jerusalem, and uh, we had a really, initially, a wonderful welcome. Uh, we were wearing t-shirts that said, Yehudim Laman Yeshua, guess what that is? Jews for Jesus. <laughs> so they knew who we were, but there was a bunch of them that had stopped to to, to listen to the music, and they started clapping along, you know, and then there was even a group off to the side doing some Israeli folk dancing, and I thought, wow, this is great. Here we are in Jerusalem, this amazing place, and we're preaching the gospel. And then out of the corner of my eye, I saw five yeshiva bochers. That's the young ultra-Orthodox seminary students with the black hats and the side curls, and they were walking towards us with a look of grim determination on their faces, and, and I knew we were in trouble. And sure enough, they got right up in front of us and we started screaming and yelling. And then one of the guys reached out to grab the hand of the violinist and tried to wrench the bow out of her hand. And I thought, great, now we're going to get martyred on the streets of Jerusalem. And right at that point, up walked this giant of an Israeli guy. He was about six foot four, 250 pounds, completely bald, with a big handlebar mustache. He, he kind of looked like Jesse Ventura. <laughs> and he gets up in their faces and he says to them, you touch them and I'll touch you. And these guys backed off, and we were able to continue ministry, and I thought to myself, praise God. You know, the Bible says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him to deliver them from harm. I just never knew he looked like Jesse Ventura. 
But there's a battle going on. There's a tension. There's a fight. And it's because God chose to place his name there and to demonstrate there what grace is really all about. To see what isn't necessarily visible by the human eye. And in and, and, and that way, all, all of us are a little bit like Jerusalem, right? We've been the place of brokenness. We've been the, the place of failure. We've been a symbol of the things that this world cannot accomplish, but God can. Self-improvement has failed, but the grace of God can build a city that brings honor and glory to the Lord, and that's each and every one of us who name the name of Christ. And he will one day present us faultless before him, spotless as the bride of Christ. Right now, the church is under some, uh, some knots, just like Jerusalem. You know, it's interesting how the church and Israel side by side in God's economy today. One day, he's going to bring us together in every way. But right now, it's happening through the proclamation of the, of the gospel. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. That's what we committed to in going to Jerusalem. To be like what Isaiah wanted to be. And, and, and look at it, verse 6. He then says, uh, you, you know, I posted watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They will never be silent, day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest. And give him no rest. What an amazing thought that is. So we have to speak and we have to pray. We have to proclaim and we have to intercede. And God was, through the prophet, calling people to join him in this great vision for this great city. And he's calling us today as well to, to speak. It took courage to speak, more courage than I felt any of us in Jews for Jesus have ever had to, to. And all of us who are called by God to speak need that same courage. And then this idea of giving the Lord no rest. What does that tell us about intercession? You know, it reminds me of that parable that Jesus told about the unrighteous judge who the woman went to repeatedly and finally he gave her justice well how much more so shall your heavenly father respond and God calls us to give the Lord no rest until he fulfills his promises and so we went to Jerusalem in the courage of that commitment that this is God's intention this is God's plan this is even though it's contested ground, even though blood flows in the city from terrorism, even though the religious would much rather see us dead than alive, we're going to go and we're going to proclaim the gospel. And I want to tell you something. <laughs> the Lord met us. And the Lord will meet you too. If you're here and you're feeling broken, you're feeling like a byword, <laughs> the promise of God is you're going to be righteous. Through the Messiah. And, and, and it is an amazing picture of the Messiah coming and bringing salvation here in this passage as well. Do you see that? The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Verse 11, say to the daughter of Zion, see your salvation comes, your Savior comes, Yeshua. That's the name of Jesus right there in that verse. 
whoever told you that Jesus wasn't in the Old Testament. He's all throughout. His name is right here. And, it's, and he is the means by which Jerusalem, by which any of us can receive the grace of God. He's the only hope for the world. He's the only hope for Jerusalem. So we have to go and we have to speak in his name. And that's what we did. You know, there's an interesting a parallel passage to verse 11, and that's in Zechariah 9.9, and it kind of gives us a sense of how salvation comes to us. In Zechariah 9.9, we see the first coming of Messiah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, just like verse 11 here. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just in having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so we know that promise was fulfilled. On the day of the triumphal entry, that was the, the, the scriptures tell us, the New Testament tells us, this was the fulfillment of that promise that was made in Zechariah. And Isaiah, with the same power of the Holy Spirit, with the same confidence concerning the future of this place that is the center of, of spiritual conflict for all the ages, he says, look, your salvation comes to you. But notice the difference between Zechariah 9 and Isaiah 62, 11. Your Savior comes, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. Judgment. He's coming again as judge. He came as Savior, and the Savior comes to judge. People say, well, I don't like to talk about judgment. I'll tell you what. People want justice, but they don't want judgment, right? You can't have justice without God's judgment. And we see God's judgment all over the world today, and we see it in Jerusalem. We also believe that it is a sign of the grace of God. Each one of us, God has judged sin in our lives and then provided the solution in the Savior who has come on the colt of full of a donkey. And now he's coming again, and we need to look forward to that. We need to look for his hand. We need to not give him rest until he accomplishes his word. And that's why we went to Jerusalem. And uh, take a look at, uh, at this team, if you will, of Jews for Jesus staff and volunteers in Jerusalem. There's a picture. One of the pastors uh, came to me, a, a local pastor in, in Jerusalem. He says, this is the first time since the book of Acts there have been so many Jews on the streets of Jerusalem talking about Jesus. Whoa! <laughs> I, I didn't think about it that way until he said it. And I thought, you know, it's probably right. I can't think of any other time in history when this was a kind of thing that was going on. And, and most of the sta our staff, but there's volunteers. We had people from, you know, about uh, 11 different congregations and uh, eight different ministries who joined with us. And so it was a, it was a wonderful symbol of unity. In fact, let's show a little video about what the Lord did through this effort. I'm Dan Serrett, and I'm the Israel Director of Jews for Jesus. We've mapped out Israel. We've noticed that there are 12 different geographic regions, and this is by far the most exciting outreach that we've employed here in Israel. We're here in Jerusalem with the University and Yeshiva team. We brought tons of cases of bottled water and hand them out. I've been able to talk to a lot of people. What's happening here is an event that we've called Art Never Stops, and it's a kind of jam, painting and sculpting. It's really fun to get a group of people together and see how people really bond and build connections. 
been in the muck and mire of this little river, just cleaning out trash to just love on the people of Israel. And the salvation stories of what God has worked during this month-long campaign. Russian speakers still are the most open to the gospel. We're going to take you in and see a house we've been working on. It's a woman who's working as a prostitute and as part of our team to reach out to the homeless, drug-addicted, and prostitutes. We're just fixing up her home to share the love of Christ. We're reaching out to Orthodox women and we're reaching into a community that for many years and in many ways has been unreached with the gospel. What does Mashiach do then? If we all sin, we, we need help. Mashiach, you're praying for it, is the same one that Christians are praying for it to him for return. How could we really impact a larger percent of the population? So we began to pray together and toss around ideas and do some design thinking. A bunch of guys' teams and girls' teams are competing. Never would have thought it happened this fast. Selling some of our handmade items and then talk about VR and things like that. Looking for opportunities to engage the community. We're hoping to see these kinds of stories of change all across the city. Pretty encouraging results, huh? <laughs> Hallelujah. And now, for the very first time, Jews for Jesus has a branch in Jerusalem. It's about time, huh? Hallelujah. And for those of you who've been following our ministry, you know that that doesn't look like a normal Jews for Jesus street witnessing campaign. And so as we prayed, remember I told you, we, we were scared. And we knew that if we had just gone in with our regular t-shirts and tracks, it'd be shut down. It'd be the shortest campaign in the history of Jews for Jesus. But God gave us insight into how to minister. The three pillars of our ministry that can I, I can't take the time now to unfold, but the, 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 the uh, go and tell. That's the proclamation of the gospel. And, and, and especially among the Russian Jews, this was something that we saw tremendous powerful uh, work at work in Jerusalem. The, the majority of the first-time decisions were Russian speakers. Go and tell. That's, don't keep silent. But also come and see. Invite people to various things where they might feel comfortable, and then they'll hear the gospel as they see a community of Jewish people who also love the Lord, who love Jesus. And many, many came to our art shows, our sports events, the other things, and they heard the gospel most of them for the very first time. And then the love and serve, the third pillar, where we did what God has been saying to do, to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And through that demonstration of the gospel, people's hearts were opened. We had different teams. We had a university team. We had what's called Haredi men and Haredi ladies, <laughs> the ultra-Orthodox, the, the largest uh, unreached people group in, in among the Jews. And uh, they, <laughs> they were writing in their newspapers, these people are coming into our community. Nobody's ever done that before. These people are brazen. Well, we were not brazen. We were nervous. And yet God gave us entree and gave us contacts. And we actually met. I used to not believe this was possible. But there are still people who have come to faith in Jesus and have not yet talked about it. I was sitting in the home of the former uh, Hasidic leader of, of a particular sect with his wife in the middle of the Mayash Sharim, which is a, an Orthodox community, 
white beard, black hat. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. <laughs> wow. Have you told anybody yet? No. Well, now you know how to minister to this guy. And pray that many of, like Simone, will actually be willing to stand up and to be counted for Christ because he believes in his heart, but he hasn't spoken publicly about his faith. All kinds of opportunities that God is at work. We, we had a, a ministry to uh, Russian speakers, as I said, and then something we call DAF, which is uh, drugs, alcohol, prostitution, and homelessness. It's an amazing experience to see that we had such favor even among the people who run the city of Jerusalem that we, our people were invited into the rehab centers and the halfway houses. In one particular event, one of our staff, Yigal, and another uh, staff member, Danny, went to one of these halfway houses, and when Yigal looked at this guy, the guy said, I know you. We were in prison together, and you were the meanest guy there. Why are you smiling? What happened? So he said, well, come and let's everybody sit down. I'll tell you what happened. Shared the gospel, and three Israelis came to faith in Christ that day in that rehab center. God is at work. <laughs> Among the Love and Serve team were over 160 Christians from different churches, 10 different churches that came from around the world to join with us. And we were able to assign them different opportunities to rub shoulders with Israelis who were not yet believers by loving and serving them. There was one man who said, he actually had to be translated because the only language he spoke was German. He said, I don't even know why I'm here. I don't speak the language. He was assigned to a nursing home for the five days that he was there. In that nursing home was a Holocaust survivor who only spoke Hebrew and German. And he spent those five days primarily with this lady sharing the gospel. And you know what? The last day she prayed to receive Jesus as her Messiah. Love and serve. Go and tell. Come and see. It's the same message that we've been preaching, just with some different methods. And God did what he did. And uh, so the results you saw, I ask that you pray. That's what you can do. You know, uh, don't give the Lord rest on behalf of Jerusalem. Help us to continue to reach out because the picture of the future by God's grace is glorious. And uh, we want you to pray uh, and we want to tell you how you can pray. When you came in, you received this card and uh, if you've, you've been through this before, right? But uh, you go ahead and fold it a few times. I'm going to ask you to fill this card out and turn it in at the back table. Susan Perlman, are you here? There she is. Susan is uh, one of the founders of Juice for Jesus. Welcome, Susan. Hi, Susan. And would, would you uh, make sure to go back and say hi to Susan? Susan actually did something amazing. She led the Boomer team. There's a whole group of Boomers, uh, you know, that, that age range. Many of them are English speakers who immigrated to Israel, and they all live in an area called German Colony. I don't know exactly why they call it that, but their first language is, is English. And so Susan put together this amazing adult coloring book. It's called The Names of God, and so each page has a different name of God in Hebrew with an explanation and where in the scriptures that name is used. And then there's a picture that goes along with the idea behind the name. 
And uh, adult coloring books are, I guess, a rage, right? And especially in Israel. So what we did was we blew these pages up and put them on these big easels and invited people walking to and from the coffee shops and all the other things in German colleges. Come along and uh, color in some of the pages here. And so as people would stop and color, we'd have a captivated audience. So it's like, you know, this bore means creator. What, 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 what does that mean to you, bore? And they would talk, and it would open up a gospel conversation. You know, we had over 1,700 people through those conversations that gave us their names and addresses asking for more follow-up. There's openness. And, uh, you know, by the way, this book is available uh, along with a calendar that uses the same artwork, and Susan will be at the back table. So you can uh, go back there, say hi to Susan, and then uh, take this part and uh, use this to pray. Join us as watchmen on the wall, would you? And then fill this card out, and put, especially put your email address, would you? Because we want to send you the Israel prayer update, because we don't want you just to pray in general. <laughs> we want you to pray with specificity as a watchman. And remember that God has a plan that is glorious for the future of Jerusalem. It's, it, it's not without conflict. The Bible says that in the last days, Jerusalem will be surrounded by her enemies, a lethal dagger poised and pointed at her heart. And at that very moment in history, the people of Jerusalem, having had the gospel sown and proclaimed in the city, will cry out to God for a deliverer, and he comes. And we see the clouds roll back as a scroll, and the brightness of a thousand noonday suns fills our vision, and there he is, the one we've been waiting for, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And as he descends and his foot touches the Mount of Olives, that mountain is split from east to west, and then is fulfilled the promise, I will pour out upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn as one mourns for an only son, weep bitterly as in the weeping of a firstborn. And in that day a great fountain will be opened in Jerusalem for cleansing and for purification, and thus all Israel will be saved. <laughs> Do you see the same God calling something that we don't see and making it into something beautiful. And in fact, this thread of God's hope and confidence concerning the glory of Jerusalem goes all the way from the beginning to the end of the Bible. The Apostle John saw that vision after the earthly reign of Christ, which we know is the millennium. There's going to become the final establishment of the kingdom of God. And in the book of Revelation, John sees Jerusalem coming down. Let's put that passage up on the, on the screen. And I saw the holy city, Ju the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And you know one of the beautiful things about, as John goes on to describe this city four square, this amazing spatial construct of the glory of God descending. He says, and on her gates are the names of the twelve tribes of Israel, and on her foundation stones are the names of the apostles. And so you see in that beautiful construction God demonstrating that in Jesus 
We are one new man in the new Jerusalem. Israel, the church, the people of God. What a glorious future. What a wonderful story. And we are part of that story if we do not keep silent. <laughs> if we do not give the Lord rest until he does what he said. And whatever you're here wondering about what God is going to do in Jerusalem, can he certainly do it in your life and mine? We can believe that because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you are the same and that your love for your people, your love for Jerusalem is emblematic of your love for the world. And as Jerusalem is and will be fully a recipient of your grace through the Savior who has come and is coming again, we pray that you would give us the confidence to believe that, not only for ourselves, but for our families, our loved ones, our friends, our neighbors. Lord, we invite you to accomplish what you have said you will. We, we want to give you no rest until you do what you said you would do in the earth, in our lives, in our families. And we believe with a fresh touch of faith because your word is true that these things will be accomplished. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And David threw out in the first service a challenge of going to Jerusalem next year and invited those among us that would like to join them as they campaign further in Jerusalem. And uh, anybody here interested in that? Would you like to go to Jerusalem as witnesses and uh, join them? But uh, uh, we'll be talking about that. Let's stand and we'll pray. Our Father, we thank you for the challenge of Isaiah 62, that you're not done with Jerusalem nor with the Jewish people. And thank God you're not done uh, waiting long for us Gentiles to give up our idols, to give up our paganism, and to step into the arms of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and be invited to the Messianic table to eat and to enjoy the salvation of God. Thank you for Jews for Jesus. May we pray for them, stand with them, and watch God save Jewish people as well as Gentile people. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.